Welcome to another episode of Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana. And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. And with us today is Corey Cachola. Corey, we have been so excited about this conversation all week. Adam and I met you last weekend on the Decentralized Education Twitter space, and we got to talking, and we immediately knew that not only are you a great thinker, great conversationalist, but you're also a kindred spirit who sees things in a lot of the same ways that we do. Um, man, welcome to the show. We are so so excited to have you here. Brian, thank you, and, and Adam, thank you for having me. And I, I feel the same way. It was like this uh, synergy going on in that Twitter Spaces room, and um, it's just been awesome uh, getting to know both of you this week and and talking about all these big futuristic uh, things in in education and technology and VR, AR, XR, and all that. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Corey, we know that you are the founder of Brand New Voices. We know that you are the principal of V-O-O-N Creative. Um, we know that you've got a lot going on. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your background and just kind of give an introduction to our audience about who you are. Yeah, so I'm uh, in digital marketing, um, but I, you know, I've, I come from a journalism background. Um, so I came, I came into marketing through journalism by way of design. Most of my career was in actually design. So web design, um, print design. I used to work for a newspaper uh, advertising department. And uh, so I would like write yeah, design and then uh, found myself at a, a PR uh, ad agency firm and then moved to uh, uh, Portland, Oregon, where I'm at now. And, uh, and mostly, you know, I, I worked in my last full-time job was like 2000, <laughs> 2003 or something. Nice. So I've been on my, on my own uh, freelance, freelance for most of that time from then on until recently when I decided I want to start honing in on um, uh, the, my niche of, of uh, um, community banking. Uh, because I had a lot of interest. I was, I got into like, you know, I started a, a tech firm with a partner about three years ago, uh, four years ago now. Uh, and we were a, a nonprofit tech firm and we wanted, we were addressing homelessness and we wanted to create a platform for change um, and address a lot of the toxicity around homelessness and put it, but put it into a really techie, you know, like next level um, conversation. And, and that's really where I got involved in like blockchain, um, you know, crypto, and that was like 2017. So, you know, th that's that crazy year when, you know, uh, ICOs were, you know, all over the place. And, and it was kind of like now, except I think there was just, there was a lot less frameworks around where crypto was headed. It was just like exploding, but people didn't know what was happening. So then it, you know, we, we ended up, we tried to roll in a lot of like blockchain stuff into our operations. And we were going to be like, you know, we had all these like really forward thinking ideas, but like a lot of these companies, then they, did, they didn't pan out because there was no use case for them. You know, like it just wasn't, it, it wasn't the right time for us. Um, so then I, I started, then I leaned after that kind of failed, I leaned back into community banking and you know start and started to get into like fintech and the relationship between fintechs and community banking um and so then the pandemic hits and with my my client in in tennessee they're a banking school educator and they um you know we did a lot of like 
suddenly we're we, suddenly I find myself like building online community solutions or architecture is what really it was of like how we could you know move physical physical stuff classrooms on online and we had to pivot very quickly so there was a lot of like it was stressful but there was a lot of innovation that that occurred to me like holy crap like this is there's some that's not just about the pandemic there's like something much bigger going on that I don't think is going to go away you know yeah. and that's and that's really what led me to now um when I, when I started getting onto like you know clubhouse came out a year ago like I got on the December and I started <clears throat> these ideas started percolating for what's brand new voices now which was an idea of impo- like suddenly we were connected through voice and at scale and and audio like the the convergence of what I saw as brand and voice that's kind of where it came brand new voices and but also like a much bigger idea of um, almost like social change that was happening that that I saw through this these technologies suddenly were like the voice technology social audio podcasts they all made sense to me like like I was like oh my god this is the this is the new mix of things like all like voice at scale and um you know synchronous asynchronous mixed with you know uh, you know social media and creating funnels between them and and that's how people are you know grouping up in online communities now and moving around in these and then and then now we have the creator economy and crypto is is back bigger than ever and able to scale a lot of these things that were just in theory before. Right. Um, so that's the really exciting part. And I think that's where we kind of left off in our conversation, like this mind blowing, like ideas of like online communities powered by crypto. And now we have, you know, AR, VR, XR that's on, that's on the cusp. And it's just, you're, you're starting to see like the, a really next generation model of, of, um, you know, business and life society, is all you know, online and virtual and virtual reality type of uh, situation. So, yeah. absolutely. Um, you know, I think the three of us are all on board with seeing that future and seeing how <clears throat> this new technology is going to empower the creator economy. And um, you yeah. know, one of the things that uh, really strikes me is that previous generations of futurists, technologists really were afraid that technology would lead to greater authoritarianism within society, right? And lead to greater control over uh, individuals by the large, the powerful, the corporate interests, and so on and so forth. And I think, you know, one of the things that the three of us really hit it off on last week in our conversation was this vision of decentralization and this vision of this new technology actually empowering the little guy and actually drawing more people into the creator economy, as you mentioned. Um, Corey, tell us a little bit about your vision for how teachers fit into all of this. Um, Where do teachers come in with, you know, the creator economy? How are they going to be empowered by things like blockchain and AR and VR and all that good stuff? Wow. You know, if you would have asked me that, at the be- at before the pandemic, I would be like, I, I have no idea what that, like, what, why, what would the teachers, I don't know. Now, 
and, and this is because my travelings through through the through the banking this really i think just that the unbelievable time in in banking and financial markets and tech of the pandemic which is i just think it's such a black swan that it, there's just nothing that can compare to it and what i was jumping on when the pandemic hit you know because we needed to come up with solutions i was kind of in a panic to find where the hell this was like i didn't know what was going on just like everyone like you know i was in charge of marketing coming up with like marketing plans strategy but you know it was like I had a coach at the time and I I said you know I don't I don't think it's even marketing anymore like this is way beyond just like the the plan before was like you would approach a a bank and like you would, you would talk you talk about brand and da 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 and a, a brand architecture and I can redo this and we can and that's cool but it, but there was no like urgency to do it the pandemic comes and suddenly these banks are like, like they're on, you know, they're, they're in, in survival mode. And that's really how I started to look at like, whatever solutions come from this, it has to be from that framing of like, it's a do or die. Like it's an urgency now. So it's not really marketing. It's like protecting critical systems. So then I started getting involved in all these webinars with a lot of like really big, some, everyone from like big banks to small banks and executives that probably would never, ever speak, you know, like to some of this stuff. And, you know, it's kind of like when Wall Street, when the, the 08 financial crisis happened and suddenly everyone's, in, including the CEOs of these major companies that would never talk on, and suddenly they're like, we don't know what the hell's going on, right? right. You, only have, you only have a split a little bit to talk about that because they're, they're going to clamp up and get their systems in place and, you know, protect things. But I had this opportunity to get in a lot of calls and webinars and mixtures of like, you know, conversations that they never would have talked to, especially someone, you know, small like me. But what I heard, this is where I'm bringing this, the, the radical thing that I realized that was happening was that banks and, and pretty much most fi financial tech was, was, moving into education they were moving away from financial products and you know they were just they were not even talking about that they weren't talking about you know they weren't worried about protecting the money that was in the bank they were what they were what they were really concerned with was customer retention and in, of their brand and what what they could, what that, what they could offer the the customers now be on financial products. So what that what that meant was like they knew they started to realize they're done before. That means like advice, education on on all kinds of matters, not just banking of like how to uh, you know. How, how do I flow? How do I, how does my business survive in this environment? What are the trends coming up? So that's not what banks did before. They didn't get into that stuff. Now they're kind of like marketing. It's kind of like they're market content marketers or something, but that's what I started to see this pattern. And I was like, and then along with what I was doing for the, the banking school and, and really like education kept coming up again and again and again, I'm like, how could it be that? That, that can't be. There's no, how is education going to be 
the, the currency. Yeah. But, but we have seen, you know, and it's been proven that, that education now is the currency of trade, of, of, of building a business, of feedback loops. That, that's what it is. Like it's, it's content creation, but it's education, educating people on this and that, how to save, how to, you know, that's what the fintechs did. They, they got, they, ex, a lot of those fintechs have exploded during the pandemic because they were putting out crazy amounts of content, which was all education, right? right. It's, it's educational content is what it is. So like the, when you say like, now, when I, when I think about where does the teacher come into this future, it's like the teacher's number one in the future. The teacher is number one in business and in the education of the, you know, kids and, and, getting them to understand the future of, you know, what this is and what this really means beyond just the, you know, beyond like, Oh, you're going to, you need to graduate and you need to learn X, Y, Z. What, what does it mean beyond that? And, and that's where I think that teachers have a, a, you know, I don't even know if they know it right now. I, I just think it's like, it's so massive of their, their responsibility is like, to me, it's like everything. Corey, uh, this is a really, really interesting idea. And so I'm curious, you know, from the, from the fintech's perspective, from the banking world's perspective, can you terse out, can you separate out the difference between real teaching and what, what has been exposed during the pandemic as essentially yeah. glorified daycare? Because I think you're right. I think all yeah. teaching is not created equal. I think that's one of the hard truths we learned. And I think the teaching that can be traded in the marketplace is different from just uh, the keeping of children. So can, right. you, can right. you really talk about the anatomy of, or, or the skill set and perspective of the teacher who can scale themselves and create real value in this new world order? Yeah, that that that's the big question, isn't it? That's the that's the big one. It's like what what type of education are you know what what are they putting out there? That's what are we talking about? And I, I think what I, I and I think it's almost like anal the, the analogy again, like going back to the banks would be that you're gonna okay, you're gonna have a you know let's put it into a branding kind of marketing context that you have a bank that is putting out all kinds of content and it's very, it's pretty valuable, but it's not transformative. Meaning like the customer is not really gaining that much knowledge beyond, you know, that the, their understanding of, you know, some money matters, basic money matters or whatever, like base, basic savings. So they're putting out all this stuff and it's helpful. So I see like, that's the parallel. Like, so there are going to be a lot of, teachers that are going to be doing this stuff. They're putting out the baseline survival stuff. And that's, that's necessary. But I think if you want to talk about like the, the, the real innovators, the ones that really get where this is headed and where to, to, to give kids um, and other teachers and other, you know, people in the education space to be leaders in their, in their content and their, education, I think they are the ones who really need to, um, I would say they need to seed their, their education through, through content production, whether it's video or whatever, but they need to seed it with 
with explosive vision of what that, of, you know, like even at the baseline level, they need to create this explosive sort of like, um, you know, seeds into the kids, especially that they are creators that can take us to the future beyond of learning, you know, the basics. <clears throat> so what, I mean, what does that look like? I don't, I don't know what that really means, you know, in, in an exact framework. But that's what Have I, you noticed that in, in certain geographies like Naples, Florida, where I'm currently living or, or uh, you know, uh, Homley Hills, uh, California or Westchester, New York, you have these doctors who have decided to kind of, uh, circumvent the system and 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 they have uh, private clients that they basically sell to directly. I wonder about the more entrepreneurial teacher who might take on a um, a micro school and uh, you know charge essentially a small group of of families uh, to deliver for those families and then find a way to record those assets or the content that they're creating and then create almost like a peloton effect where they can, you know, you, you have a certain fee for in-person and then you have a certain fee for kind of a live hybrid and then you have a certain fee for right. asynchronous and you circumvent any kind of centralized system based on, uh, you know, your ability to, uh, to day trade attention. What are your thoughts? No, I, think, I think you're right on. I think that's exactly what is going to happen, actually. That it's not like, because you already, you already saw trend like when the pandemic hit what what was the immediate like i always think like what were the immediate things that you know parents wanted to do i and i don't always agree with these things but now i i i understand why they happen that way what did they what did parents want to do and a lot of educators want to do immediately was they started talking about pods right, right. you know basically small communities that that didn't make sense to me until recently when I started to really dig into the creator economy and look at the structure of how it's structured and the decentralization. And now it makes more sense actually, because what's happening, because, you know, like I just put out a LinkedIn post about how the, the company, you know, a company is decentralizing like across the board. Yeah. And you're seeing like people from the company, CEOs, especially, are turning into like their own brands and then they have a personal brand, but these are really, I think that's, those are little signals that there's something deeper going on. Meaning they are these, they're decoupling from the, the company, even right. though they're still working for the company, they're, they're setting themselves up for it. They, the, the executives and that will run their own little decentralized and it, you know, I don't know, but I guess the point is to, to Adam's parallel, like that's, that's what I think is education is going to happen too, where you're going to see little decentralized communities powered by crypto, powered by, you know, DAOs, like, you know, the, the, the bigger ones are probably going to have to have like some kind of like, you know, um, decentralized autonomous organizational structure because it's going to be very complicated, the governing, governing systems. But, but in general, like those are, that gets really geeky. But I think the, the point is like that model of little decentralized communities that can really, really uh, focus on their 
whoever is attached to them by mm. by through I would say like brand impress brand values are going to draw them to these communities. Um, they're going to you know what, what I see happening is they're going to really concentrate efforts on educating them, however that has whatever is comfortable in that community, but then the the, the ones that are going to really innovate, I think, are going to be the ones that plug into other decentralized communities. So it's going to be like this network of like kind of like a, a root system. If you look, if you were to look at trees, sure. like how, how the forest is connected is these extremely complicated like roots going into here and there. They're, they're like highway systems, but they're 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 connected through and they're, li- but it's all a living, breathing, you know, or like it's uh, eventually, I think it's going to be as one, even though they're all decentralized. You it, know? Um, it occurs to me that maybe though, like, as we talk about this decentralization, the solution to the creator economy for educators, that perhaps one of the things that's kind of just beneath the surface is uh, a fundamental change in what the transaction of education is, you know, um, right. For a long time, we have the the transaction with institutes of higher education has been: let me give you these tuition dollars, and in exchange, yeah. you give me a credential that will then qualify me for job X, Y, Z, or or whatever other yeah. pursuit. Um, you know, Adam alluded to this earlier. He and I both come out of uh, you know the private school world, where oftentimes you know for the younger children, the transaction is: let me give you these tuition dollars, and you provide daycare, really, like mm-hmm. a, a place for my children to go between the hours of eight o'clock and three o'clock and you know what knowledge may or may not be acquired there you know it may or may not be secondary um in the high school world in the private education world it, the transaction is you know let me pay you these tuition dollars and you get my child into a really prestigious college so that i can uh, you know go brag on facebook to the other moms about you know my baby getting into harvard and stuff right now it sounds to me like what you're talking about is a transaction where we're paying teachers directly for knowledge and content that that empowers the students as well. Because you know, you mentioned yeah. um, you know teachers teaching about you know beyond the basics of finance, beyond just the basics of you know putting some aside in a savings account. Um, right. You mentioned banks wanting to educate their customers on some of um, you know the financial products that they have available. You know, strategies in a down market, all that good stuff. So tell me, tell me your views on that. Have we seen like this? Are, are we in the midst of not just a rethinking of how education is done, but what education is? Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, I think that's the, that's the really deep drivers is that we're seeing a complete reimagining. Like, I don't think that's going to happen over, like it's going to be, who knows how long that's going to take, but I think it's going to happen because it, it's almost like it ha- to me, it has to, <laughs> because you don't, if you look at the current situation, there's so many problems that are don't I don't even know if they're solvable at this point, you know. And I think it's it's a it's a become a, everyone knows it's become a really toxic situation. Whether it's you know politics or you know, there's all kinds of things mixed in with, especially public schools. But I think it's happening to all schools. Like it's not just public. It's just that they're the ones who are feeling the brunt of it, and they they get the you know cameras on them, but. But it really is it's all of education and i think there are so many there's just so many things inputs into this that are so far beyond of what what people are seeing like like ai for instance is another one that's 
around that's just here and it's going to get more powerful. It, it, there's no way AI is just going to just stop. <laughs> no, right. no matter what we talk about with ethics, you can talk about that all day long, but at the end of the day, those things are not driven by how you and I have a discussion. And we think it's good. It's how does China decide? How does, you know, how, how does, how does the Russians and China, and if they pose a threat to nation states, that's how those things get done. I mean, that's when right. you'll see, it, it's not going to matter. So, I mean, good or bad, it just doesn't matter. I think it's like those technologies are going to continue to challenge our basic understandings of education anyway. So they, if you just leave it all to, right, right now, like, oh, just, you know, none of that happens and it just stays where it is, wherever that is, AI is going to take its toll anyway. It, it, it's just, it's, it's going to wipe all of this stuff out. And I would rather be in a decentralized kind of many, many systems than a one centralized system where they're just, you know, you can be taken down. And that's not just AI. You're talking, I mean, hackers, for instance, are taking down massive, huge, extremely protected systems of the government. Right. What's to say as schools get more and more technology involved in them, if they're a centralized system, the bigger they are, the bigger the target they are, and they can get taken down. So there's a lot of reasons that, it, like there's security issues. There's, there's a lot of things beyond just like people going, oh, I think it would be cool to have decentralized. Like that, that's what I think how a lot of us talk about it like that. But the reality is it almost like you, it has to happen. Yeah. Corey, it let's talk... Like, Corey, let's talk a little bit about uh, the difference between this idea of decentralized education and, and, and an idea of dematerialized education, mm -hmm. the dematerialization of the school building and the tension there, right? Because we've seen incredible innovation and the innovations that we've talked about are all in the, in the world of bits, right? And we've not seen as much innovation in the world of atoms, you know? And so I'm curious, what does dematerializing the school building mean for the future of education? And what do we have to look forward to in kind of a contrarian way? What do we have to look forward to around the innovation in the world of atoms and where this leads in the physical world. That's a, wow. That is a, <laughs> that, that's a big one. I, so, so where does it leave the physical, the, the school itself, the bricks and mortar? Is that, is that kind of the, the framing of? That's exactly right. So we, we, we see these innovations yeah. happening in the world of bits. What does it mean for the world of atoms as we move from, from, uh, from this kind of centralized model to not only a decentralized model, but a dematerialized model? I mean, I, I think a good, there's a good template for that. And, and the battle is being waged also with, like, again, I'll go back to banking because the, the conversations that I talk about with my, my client, um, he's, he's the programming director at the, at the school. And um, he's a, you know, he's just a deep knowledge banker. He, he's such a, you know, source of like enormous knowledge on banking systems, and all that. So I, I like to, Pick his brain all the time, but he, you know, we we talk about that a lot. We we argue about it actually because he believes that the bank branch 
is still going to survive. Mm. Like no matter what, because people fundamentally want something to go into. So it doesn't matter how much tech and you, you know, it, we need to have that. Is he invested in the Pony Express as well? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's super smart. <clears throat> I mean, I, he, he goes in both worlds, but it's a good challenge to think about. I mean, I mean, he agrees on some points and, you know, he's definitely been getting more into crypto, <laughs> like, like in a, in a, a way that maybe, maybe he didn't realize before, but, um, and that's the thing, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I think it would be like, how can anyone answer what is going to happen to all physical buildings? I mean, it's like, God knows what's going to happen to, I, I think that they're going to, be around and and probably pay play an important role in like um maybe like lab kind of experimental situations where they take like groups of kids for instance and do i don't know some some sort of like test test modeling of some new innovation where the physical you know being these being physically present is is a benefit and and then and then probably then moving that out into the online world and you know and taking those learnings and like i can foresee that like using almost like they're used as like you know testing grounds essentially for big maybe maybe they're really important you know maybe they're actually really really important maybe there's like vr studios built in there right like maybe the schools are building massive vr you know, rooms in there and, and, and they're not bringing everyone into them, but they're bringing, they're doing, they've got a system going where they're bringing back and forth. You know, I, I've actually heard of my, my nephew, um, he, he's in high school and his in, in Tennessee and his school, um, they have, a, they had a lot of VR equipment that I was like, holy crap. And I had no idea that they were, they, this like, that school had tons of really interesting, that was a couple of years ago. And they were talking, he was like, yeah, we, you know, we had the, it's this cool room and we have the glove and it's, you know, it's not like so sophisticated yet, but they're, they're experimenting. They've got the suits They're right. they're they're starting to get, and these are, these are normal high schools. These are not like futuristic sci-fi stuff. So I think you're, you already saw that pre pandemic. So to me, it's going to accelerate the, you know, the, the, the trend of that happening where the schools, I think, like, I don't, I can't imagine the schools are going to be packed again. I don't, I don't think that's coming back. You know, I wonder, you know, um, you know, thinking through this idea of decentralization versus dematerialization, one of the interesting things that we've seen uh, trend wise is yes, the upward rise of, you know, remote learning, the upward rise of VR, AR, and XR. Um, the three of us are all super excited about that. Uh, another interesting trend that I've kind of watched in the education space is the rise of things like the forest school. And, you know, parents who just want their children to be outside, getting dirty, getting muddy, uh, you know, amongst the, the trees and the leaves and all that good stuff. Um, the rise of place-based education where, uh, you know, children are interesting. And I see this in my own little people too. I've got a 10 year old and eight year old and a six year old and uh, the rise of interest in, um, you know, what sort of local flora and fauna, you know, can we identify, um, you know, the, the aiding of that process with apps like, uh, 
uh, like the Audubon Society's app helps my children identify birds and stuff like that. Um, the iNaturalist is kind of like the, uh, you know, to take a picture of a species and it'll help you identify it. Um, are these, do you think, two divergent forces that are pushing against each other? Or are, will these ultimately, do you think, serve the same purpose of decentralization where you know maybe these little pods are are hopping into a vr headset for um mm -hmm. the delivery of more abstract content and then kids are out in the woods more than they have been you know when the three of us yeah. were growing up yeah i think that's an amazing example like what you just described all that that's like i think that's going to happen it, it does happen i mean my my daughter went to a preschool where they did that like it was a it was really cool like it was like they, they didn't have a set curriculum every day. It was just more like a framework that yeah. they would work with. So like if a kid, they would bring the kids out and out into, you know, the, they had a little natural area. And, and if there was like some kind of a caterpillar that one kid found, they would, they would, they would produce, they would create a program around that, you know, real time with the framework that they use. And I, I thought it was really cool. Like that's the first time I had, that was, you know, 10 nine years ago or whatever but but it was it, i think that's an example of what we're going to see a lot more of that yeah. on, on big scale where there's like because you you know you can't i think it's i think it's being proven again and again you can't push people into standardized things anymore no one wants to be standardized right you know because the school and it makes sense if you look at the history like what was the school for what was the original intent of the school it was to serve you know a post-industrial revolution system which has to have standards you have to have very certain things work a certain way like the military everybody's got to sit in nice neat rows yeah. absolutely and yep. that was necessary for that economy at that time right so it did it did make sense but now we are in a, a completely different you know we've been out of that economy but now the pandemic has crushed that Corey, i think I think you make a really interesting point because um, the innovations of Francis Parker and Dewey, uh, this kind of maximizing of utility was all about scale, right? It was, you know, there was people, for, I mean, there was, there's been school for 5,000 years, right? There's been education for 5,000 years. It wasn't really until America built on top of the Prussian model that it became standardized, right? And so there is a movement afoot to go back to this kind of life of the mind, you know, reading the yeah. great books, uh, right. going back to this kind of classical model. And, and people are framing that as it's, it's kind of future proof, right? Uh, to wrestle yeah. with the greatest minds in the East and the West that have ever existed. That's yeah. the best way to educate children going forward. And it's interesting because there's some, there's some political complexities with fully embracing Western civilization and, uh, you know, and, and from the perspective of being sons and daughters of the West, uh, we may have, we may be at risk of discounting what the East has to offer. But um, sure. I'm curious, what is your take on, you know, what is the contrarian play in education now? Is it to, uh, is it to raise our children to be plumbers and, uh, and, and, and juxtapose Catullus and Horace, you know, while everyone else is going to university and everyone else is yeah. spending time trying to be a blockchain engineer, I'm getting my child out and sweating underneath the house. <laughs> is that the move? Yeah. <laughs> Double down on uh, 
on HVAC and plumbing? Where do the vocations come into play and where do the classics come into yeah. play? And that's a good, that's a good point because there is that like, you know, these debates going on, like, well, that, you know, what about those vocations? You know, not everyone can be, it wants to be in, in tech and, and that's true. So you, you, you shouldn't, you know, because, because I'm, I'm of the belief that almost everything there's these diversity in thought is what creates innovation. And that sometimes, and that always, to me, it always comes from somewhere unexpected. Because that's what I think it, is the spark of innovation. It, Corey, it seems to me that if you're able-bodied, if you are an able-bodied person, and that, and you know, obviously there are people who are not, but if you're able-bodied, the fastest way to financial security from 16 years old is a trade. I'm wondering if you agree. The fastest, uh, easiest, yeah. most accessible way yeah, to financial I mean, security look, I, is a trade. So I grew up in a small town in Montana, and like that's you know a lot of a lot of those guys is a very blue collar and you know when we when i graduated i had dreams of like you know i'm gonna go to college and become a journalist and you know i get into college and you know the journalists this was uh, way back when i mean they were making you know fifteen thousand dollars a year that's what all my work was and i knew i knew i knew kids that right from senior year went into and started their own business and become an electrician or something. And they were making, I mean, there was guys making 50, 60,000. That was back. That was 20 years ago. They were, they were rich. So yeah, there's definitely there. That's still true. And I think you still see they, they can leapfrog, you know, in terms of like, um, you know, they, they can do very well, I think. So yeah, absolutely. Like you're going to see, I think communities of, of people who are, hardcore believers in that concept and that's cool like i think that's that's what's awesome about the decentralization is you can have both you can have all of it you can have little communities that do service those and then other communities that are like these you know blockchain crazy tech guys now the power to me is when they start talking they start connecting into blockchain plumbers by the oh, domain God. name right now. Blockchain <laughs> Mario and Luigi on the nodes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, it seems to me that, uh, you know, the, the really powerful thing, you know, that we kind of keep dancing around is that regardless of whether what's right for your child is kind of that more Dewey Montessori, Francis Parker sort of progressive education or, you know, Adam brings up the classics and the, the vocational uh, education, um, regardless of what's right for your child, what the advances in tech are going to empower us to do is to offer our children the very best in that particular brand of education, right? I mean, yeah. we had... Uh, regardless uh, of geography, that's the powerful that's, point, right? Regardless of geography, that's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we had um, some gentlemen on, uh, on during our first season from Motlow State Community College, and these guys have tremendously exciting things going on in virtual reality, mostly centered around the trades, mostly centered around training people in trades, um, you know, for, for which making a mistake in the training process is very costly, right? So VR immediately eliminates uh, barriers to entry for those trades. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Adam talks about the classics, you know, regardless of, you know, your view on Western civilization, whether that deserves preservation or not, you know, if you are interested in getting your child the very best in Plato and Aristotle, 
That's hard to come by. It's hard to find a good Plato and Aristotle teacher, just as hard as it is to find a good Lao Tzu or Confucius teacher, right? So regardless of which direction you're headed in, regardless of what your child's needs are, the powerful thing about what we're talking about from any parent or any educator standpoint is I can go get my child the very best and I don't need to move to New York or London or Shanghai to get it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's, that is going to bring back a lot of the, you know, these old, old ancient kind of ideas of what education is that, yes. you know, it's out in nature and, Amen. You, know, people will, you know, but, but you will have cities that are, you know, I think you do need the futuristic cities being built and populated and, and that, like I, I'm a big believer in that too. But I also, you know, I think from the pandemic, we're seeing, um, a lot of like going back to nature ideas all around, like all, all around, not just in education, just life, you know, like, like connecting back into nature. And I think that is going to influence education and how education is taught, where it's going to be taught. And so to think like between the AR, VR stuff and then connected communities that can monetize through, through crypto and, and you know, social tokens, these these can be freestanding little mini economies in remote areas you know that never could have existed you know using a bare minimum of of tech you know that's what's exciting is that they can they can be the same essentially as or they can plug into other networks you know like it's like you know like using your example of the trades so let's say there was like this hardcore community of you know plumbers and they just they, they just, they're, they're, they're making tons of money. So they're not going to, they don't care about future blockchain stuff. They, they're fine, right? Why do they want to? But they are using systems of, you know, blockchain systems, right? They, they, they're using that technology, but they're teaching something completely different. And that's fine. But let's say at some point, I think every industry gets disrupted. Like, you know, some new technology comes in that they have to use. Like, oh, I got, everyone's using this credit card system and now we have to, I don't like it, but well, we're, we're using it. So the cool thing about the decentralized communities is they can go, well, where, where are we going to learn this new thing? Oh, let's, let's go to Shanghai. Okay, how do we get to Shanghai? Click, they're in Shanghai, a guy comes in and is, you know, he's, he's a hologram and he's sitting teaching their class on, how to do this thing that he, maybe he's the inventor of it or whatever. And it's like, oh, okay, thanks. And 10 minutes later, he's gone, right? Like that's the, that's the cool thing about that these technologies combined with decentralization can lead to actually a, big, a better ecosystem of people who are gonna be happier in very niche, niche communities, right? you know, and, and enjoy the diversity of the, of the whole, you could say. Corey, I want to get your take on something real quick. And this is a question that I've asked a a lot of our recent guests. Um, I am continuously struck by the lack of knowledge within the education space about the kinds of things that we talk about on this show. Um, You know, I, and I use the example fairly frequently of, um, you know, I was having a conversation with a middle school principal a few months back. She asked me what I was up to. And at the time I was teaching a, an SAT math class in virtual reality for Victory XR. And I told her about it. And, and, you know, I got the first sentence out of my mouth, like, oh, I'm teaching a math class in virtual reality. And she went, oh, do you, 
virtual reality do you mean are you are you teaching math on zoom and i was like no ma'am and you know i happened to have my quest 2 with me and i showed her the headset and i was like no you know uh, we met up in a in a 3d space you know built on the engage platform so on and so forth right um but there's just this real lack of awareness about the topics that you know we talk about there's a real lack of awareness yeah. about immersive technologies like xr ar vr there's a lack of awareness about blockchain technologies there's a lack of awareness about ai most of the educators that i talk to if they've heard of these things have kind of a vaguely negative impression of them you know maybe they heard that bitcoin is destroying the environment maybe they heard that uh you know artificial intelligence is gonna end the human race like skynet and terminator um yeah. How do we combat this? Uh, you know, what are what are the roots behind this lack of awareness? Uh, how do we combat it? And, and how do we help educators to see that far from a dystopian future, that what we're actually building is going to empower them? Yeah, that's a, it's a great, that, that is the, that's such a big thing. And as you were talking, I'm like, oh, now we know what to do with the schools because they can, you know, so <coughs> when, I, when I had this, when I, this tech firm nonprofit thing that, I co-founded a couple of years back. We, we had, we, this is the challenge that we had because we knew that to even talk about homelessness in Portland, where it's like very acute, just like, you know, San Francisco and all the West coast um, it's toxic. I mean, no, you can't even talk about it with people without getting into some thing. Um, so how do you do it? So we came up with this idea called that we called um, homeless hackathons. And these were essentially, um, and we could scale these anywhere in the world because we had, we, had, we had goals of like connecting systems all over the world. That was our big vision. You know, if we had, <laughs> had been funded, we could have done it. But, but the point was like, we would come up with these things like um, um, my, my partner was really brilliant at these, like naming these little products. And so he called them like, um, a, a hackathon box or something like this, a kit. And so this was, we would, we would teach how to do a hackathon. Um, so you would, you, you go on location and someone can essentially set up a pop-up deal with maybe some vendors and you bring in, um, in fact, we had a, we had a VR um, filmmakers who we partnered with that we, we had, we got a, I was demoed a version of that. They did a, they did a, a, a VR um, a little video of like refugees, a refugee camp in Syria. And we, I saw it on this, you know, a really, ba really low end VR headset, but it was like mind blowing, you know, like for five minutes, I'm in the, I'm in there. I'm in, I'm in this camp. And so we had this idea that uh, we would partner with, VR filmmakers, and we found this is how like once you start looking, you find it. They we found a group in Portland of <laughs> these were formerly homeless women filmmakers who got managed to get a grant for all the VR the ten thousand dollar VR equipment. They had it, and they got all these grants. So they were interested because they had relation with the homeless community. So that, I think that's an example of like, once you start to align like brand values and what your mission is, you can find this stuff. Like who would ever think that that was even out there? Well, it is, there's a group of them not far from here. So, so again, like you could use a school the same way. 
you set up a, a, a like a hackathon event and you invite the teachers, you invite the superintendent, basically everyone who's object who who has a sales objection, you know, like in sales, that's what they call it. Bring them in, bring in the kids, bring in the the creators, the teachers, or whoever's whatever. Bring them in, the technologists, and have a hackathon and create education, make it an event. You know, that's what we wanted to do. And we actually wanted to bring homeless people in and say, like, you are going to work on a solution with the tech guy who's making $200,000 a year. You're going to sit down and they're going to be able to talk to you so that then when, when, they, when they build out an MVP, they, they've got real knowledge. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of logistics that have to happen. But the point is, there's, there's a pathway right there, I think, that, and use the schools to do it. Corey, this is the part of the show where we kind of uh, talk about something that has nothing to do with what we've been talking about. And Ryan <laughs> usually leads us off. This is the Furious Five. So we're going to jump yeah. right in. And, uh, right so, as, so as Adam mentioned, the Furious Five is going to be five questions that don't have anything to do with what we've been talking about tonight for the most part. Yeah. Uh, but they are just kind of fun get-to-know-you questions. We encourage short, rapid-fire, one- or two-sentence answers Whatever comes to the top of your mind initially is the correct answer here. So without any further ado, the first question of the Furious Five, Corey, is what's the best TV show or movie you've watched recently? Uh, uh, the Breakfast Club. Nice. Going old school. I like it. Second question is, what is the best meal that you've eaten recently? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I had a uh, a burrito. <laughs> not really Can't go wrong there, man. That's Can't it. go wrong there. Can't go wrong there. Uh, the third question is: Who is a so? Who is a thought leader that our listeners should stop what they're doing right now and either go follow on social media or purchase a book from or watch a TED talk by? Who's a thought leader that all of our listeners need to know about? Whew. Boy, that's that's a big one. Um, a thought leader. Uh, God, I'll say um, James Clear because I'm reading his book right now. Excellent. Uh, What's the book called? Atom Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Question four. What's the best book that you've ever read? Oh God. Well, that, that, that this is a pretty damn good book. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty. I mean, there's. I don't. I'm just. That's just at the top of my head, and it's a great book. Yeah. That's it. Excellent. Excellent. The last question of the Furious Five is really Adam's question. So at this point in the show, I always turn the mic back over to him. Right. Corey, what do you know to be true about the future of capital allocation and blockchain that your friends in the banking world would disagree with you on? Uh, I mean, I think pretty simply that fiat is fiat's going to go away. Wow. Yeah. You, so you think bankers disagree with you on this? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. For the most, yeah. Oh, yeah. They think fiat uh, is here to stay. Yeah, they're not. You, you wouldn't find, yeah, you would be hard-pressed to find a, a banker saying, like, that that's going to happen, that that crazy notion is going to happen, that money, fiat's just going to be disappearing one day. Wow, I, I didn't realize how out of mainstream oh, yeah. my own worldview was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, know, you did, Adam. Yes, yeah, you, <laughs> you, you guys are pretty far out there. I have to 
love it. I, I Adam, love it. You're, you're talking to a guy, an Adam, that calls himself the contrarian. Like, that's <laughs> – he knows how far out of the mainstream he is. <laughs> Let me – okay. Okay. But let's, let's play with that just a little bit because I think our listeners would be curious. Um, do, are you saying that, uh, that you imagine a world where the dollar is gone or the paper trying, green trying, uh, rectangle is gone? And do you imagine that the dollar will just be a, 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 um, you know, some kind of stable coin um, uh, uh, blocked on the blockchain? For a while. I mean, I think, I think there has to be a time period when it transitions and I don't know how long that will be. Could be decades, but eventually it will just be gone. There's no, what's, there's no reason for it. Like all, you know, not just the U S dollar, but any, you know, cause like I'll take the Wachovia twins, what they said, like, years back about bitcoin and it just like i always use this example because it's so clear they're like how the hell are robots <laughs> ai's gonna how are they gonna how are they gonna talk to each other exchange um currency and like and open accounts with with a dollar they're gonna pit reach in their pocket and give you each other a dollar or they're gonna sign papers no <laughs> it can't work like it has to so if, if you believe in automation you believe that there's no more money that it can't, it can't work. I feel like that is, uh, is deserving of its own episode right there. We have to have you back <laughs> on time. soon, Corey. Next time. Um, dude, thank you so much. It has been just a tremendous pleasure talking to you again this weekend. And, and uh, right. where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, you know, if you just go to brandnewvoices.com to my website, um, which is just a landing page, but it has all my, um, it's being built out, but there's all my social media um, jump offs there. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Corey Cachola, the man, the myth, the legend, as Adam likes to say, we're so appreciative of your time. We enjoy talking to you so much, my friend. We'll look forward to doing it again soon. Oh, that was an honor to, to be on your show, guys. Thanks so much. Cheers. Absolutely. Right. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.